Well, good morning, City Light. My name is Doug, and I get to follow Jesus with all of you. Um, now, granted, uh, my nine to five Monday through Friday work world is a little different from yours. I'm a pastor, so I just play golf and read my Bible all the time, right? It's really great. Actually, it's nothing like that. Uh, but we both work jobs, whether that's for a church or in the office, or at retail, or in the home, or school, or at in the field. Um, and that means we all have bosses, supervisors, whatever your organization calls them. I remember uh, years ago, I worked for a moving company, and my boss's name was Richard. He was a chain-smoking, 90s rock, lip-syncing, mullet-sporting sort of guy. Um, his molar was really pretty sweet, though, to be honest with you. And I spent a summer lugging furniture and packing boxes exactly how Richard told me to do it. He was usually a nice guy. He had colorful language, and he had no problem bossing me around. Like, it was really clear. He was in charge. He was boss. Years later, I worked for Qdoba here in town for a little while. Yes, I actually worked for Qdoba um, because my friend, uh, he ran the store. And so he gave me a part-time job when I was between careers. And this friend of mine, who happened to be my boss at the time, he was easily one of the most like laid-back, chilled-out bosses I've ever worked for. He was fun, uh, relaxing. He made rolling burritos look easy. But with even how chilled out he was in his leadership, it was still very clear who was in charge. He was boss. We all have bosses. Even if you're like most Americans and you're going to change your career 12 times during your work life, we still have bosses in those careers. Even if you're one of the 44 million Americans who happen to be self-employed, you still have a boss. It just happens to be you. And even if you're like 58% of the American workforce and you would trust a total stranger more than you trust your boss, well, we still have bosses. Here's why I'm talking about jobs and bosses this morning. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, it's a shared reality that we all live in. And if you are a follower of Jesus, the Bible makes it clear. Jesus isn't just our friend or our savior. Jesus is also our boss. And Jesus is our boss's boss. And I know that like can sound creepy at first, especially since most of us don't trust our earthly bosses. But I hope this morning to show you that the truth that Jesus is our boss is a life-giving, job-changing blessing for you. Whether you are unemployed or underemployed or overemployed, self-employed or perfectly employed, the truth that Jesus is boss is meaningful to us in our workplace. I'm going to read the passage again, and this time I just want to ask you, listen for the repetition in here. Now, Paul uses the term Lord or master instead of boss, but as you hear it, I think you'll pick up the idea. Colossians 3.22 starts like this. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. 
Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, bosses, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master, a Lord in heaven. I think the point's clear. The big idea is obvious. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is boss. Five times in this passage, Jesus is called Lord. And each time, he is above, over, higher than any earthly master or boss that we might have. So this morning, I want to unpack three ways that Jesus is Lord influences us in our workplace. But before we go there, um, I feel like to be faithful to this passage, we have to acknowledge something. The passage doesn't read, employees obey in everything those who are your earthly employers. The passage reads, bond servants, slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. That's two very different Worlds. I would dare say that all of us either have been or will be employees at some point in time in our life. But very, very few people that I have ever met have been bond servants. So what do we need to know? What's going on here? Let me just share a few things about this real fast. The Roman Empire, they had this bond-servant-master relationship, and it was everywhere in the Roman Empire. About one-third of the Roman population were bond servants. Another third of the population were former bond servants, and the final third were people who were free from birth all the way through death. Furthermore, in Colossae, which is the city to which this letter was written, it's estimated about 30 to 50 percent of the population were bond servants. That would be like 20 to 30,000 people in Council Bluffs being bond servants. I mean, it was everywhere. It was the world they lived in. Plus, the Roman bond servant master relationship, that system was different from the chattel slavery that we had in our nation for a couple hundred years and is still practiced around the world in different places. I mean, honestly, guys, the reality is there are still tens of millions of people who are still bought and sold as mere property. And that is disgusting. It's, it's dehumanizing. It's destructive to the image of God in and on a person. And it is sinful. The Roman bond-servant-master system, it wasn't that. It wasn't the race-based chattel slavery. And it also wasn't like what we're used to, a a healthy at-will employment contract that we can take or leave at any moment. So if it's neither of those, then what was it? That's a great question. It was more of an economic system, but really the experience for a bond servant could vary greatly from household to household. Like one person might be a servant because her family was captured in war and she has a terrible experience suffering abuse at the hands of her master. Another person might be a servant because he couldn't quite pay off all his debts, and so he becomes a servant for a while and he's treated like a brother, a friend, a loved one within the family. 
Furthermore, in Colossians chapter 3, same chapter, just a few verses up, verse 11, Paul makes it clear that in Christ there is no longer slave nor free. In other words, the bondservant is just as free to obey Jesus as his master. And the master is just as bound to obey Jesus as his servants. Plus, you got this book of the Bible, tiny book of the Bible called Philemon. And in it, it is really clear, Paul says that the slave, Onesimus, is now Philemon's brother. In Christ, they are family. So even if the Roman Empire used slavery, the church must never use slavery. Now, I could keep going about the whole like Roman bondservant master relationship. And if you want to talk more, I'd be happy to talk. Learn from you, or I can share what I've learned in preparation for this. But honestly, it's really beyond the scope of our passage this morning. Whatever the experience for a particular bondservant in Colossae, and whoever might be in the house church that was hearing this letter read in Colossae, the giant slogan, right, like the big truth, the life-giving, job-changing statement was the same. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is boss. And it's that truth that also impacts our jobs. That truth still influences us today. So, without any further ado, let's look at those three ways that Jesus is Lord influences our workplace. First is this. If Jesus is Lord of your workplace, and he is, then even the smallest of jobs and the lowest of positions matter. Like, say, like, let's just not miss the obvious here, okay? Bond servants are spoken to. Bond servants are addressed. Paul recognizes and values and speaks to bond servants. The fact that there is even a Bible verse that is addressed to bond servants should shout at the highest of volumes that all jobs matter, including yours. In the Roman Empire, there are these things called household codes. These written guidelines and rules for how the right Roman household should be run. And in those household codes, it was really clear that the master of the house, like the husband, the dad, he was the one who was supposed to be spoken to and who was supposed to do the speaking to everyone else. So if you had a message for a bond servant, you don't take it to the bond servant. You were supposed to take it to the master. The bondservant might be within earshot and be able to hear it, but you're talking to the master, and then he decides who gets to hear that message and when. But then here we have a letter that is written by a Roman citizen named Paul who has traveled extensively in the Roman Empire, and he's known for his intelligence and his bravery and his courage, and in the letter he addresses bondservants. He speaks to Bond servants. He cares about bond servants. It's beautiful. And it tells us that our jobs matter, that your work is meaningful and significant in the Lord's eyes. That no matter how low your wage or how large your profit, no matter how long your shift or how large your influence, your job matters to God. How so? Like, how can flipping burgers matter like negotiating billion-dollar contracts? They both matter in this way. They can be both sincere and rewarding. 
Like when you know and live and work in the reality that Jesus is Lord of you in your job, then your job can be both sincere and it can be rewarding no matter how small it might seem. Paul spells it out for us in Colossians 3, 22 and 23. He says, work with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. This tells us something about how Jesus is Lord. Like, what kind of boss is Jesus? So help me out a little. I, just pause, and I want you to think of, like, your favorite boss. In your work history, who has been your best boss? The person you enjoyed working for the most. And now with that name or face in your head, like, what was it about them that made them the best? What was it about them? How did they lead or manage or supervise you that made you enjoy their leadership? Chances are you picked your boss based on two things. They inspired you to work hard, to work with joy, to challenge yourself and grow in whatever role you have in that organization, and they appreciated you. They inspired you and they appreciated you. They heard your ideas and they let it influence the team. They gave you more opportunities. They didn't look down on you. They expressed their gratitude for you. The best of bosses, and many workplace studies back this up, both inspire you and appreciate you. They help you work with sincerity, heartily, and they reward you for your labor. So catch this, City Light. Jesus is the best of the best bosses. When you know and live and work in the reality that Jesus is Lord, he will inspire you to work heartily, even in the smallest of tasks. He can inspire you to work sincerely, even in the most difficult of circumstances. And he will reward you for your labor. Though it may be unseen by others, he will reward you for your labor with all of himself for all of eternity. A friend in our church, his name's Davey Fisher. He's the assistant basketball coach for Iowa Western. And so um, I communicated and emailed with a bunch of people who literally, they don't work for the church. I thought that'd be good to talk to those people. And so I asked Davey, man, how does this verse influence you? And this is what he said. I'm just going to quote him. He says, being the second assistant, I often get handed a lot of the dirty work, the things other coaches don't want to do, but still needs done. My mind runs sometimes as I'm doing laundry at midnight or filling up water bottles before games, rather than talking with the other coaches. And I ask myself, did I, Davey Single, did I leave my family and move 15 hours away from home for this? Is this really what God has for me? But often, though not always, I think of this verse, and it gives me strength. I tell myself, and some of us, we need to be telling ourselves, right? You're doing this for reasons bigger than yourself. Whatever you do, do it for Jesus. Do it to the best of your ability because it's for Jesus. That's what it means when Jesus is Lord of your workplace. The smallest of tasks and the lowest of positions can be meaningful and honoring to Jesus. 
Okay, number two. If Jesus is Lord of your workplace, and he is, then justice is coming from Jesus. If Jesus is Lord of your workplace, then justice is coming, and it's coming from Jesus. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 25. It says, For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Listen, I'm not going to be that pastor who stands up here and tells you that your job is always awesome and you should just always be happy in whatever job you happen to be at. That just simply is not always the case. Like we've come a long way from the Roman bondservant master system, but most of the time, many of us have experienced some injustices in our workplace. Some of you are in it right now. You're underpaid even though you work hard and you work with joy and you get results. I mean, that stinks. Some of you are underappreciated. Like your boss hasn't spoken an encouraging word to you in what feels like years. And every day whenever you drive in or log in, you're just thinking, if she could say one nice thing, that sure would help a lot. Or you might feel misunderstood. Every suggestion you uh, share, it feels like it gets heard as a complaint and then you get corrected in front of everybody. Or any mistake you make gets magnified and any success you have gets downplayed and ignored. Maybe you feel like you're stuck in a dead-end job, buried beneath a glass ceiling, or doomed to decades of always watching the nephew get promoted and you're just stuck on the bottom rung unseen. And so in that sense, Colossians 3.25 can help us. For the wrongdoer, the boss who treats you wrong, will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. In other words, justice is coming, and that justice is coming from Jesus. So, we need not busy ourselves with raging anger or revenge or getting payback on our boss because justice is coming from Jesus. And we need not gossip or slander or tear down his reputation because justice is coming from Jesus. And thankfully and hopefully there are avenues in your workplace where you can report those injustices. And if you have those avenues, make use of them. But beyond that, we don't need to do anything sinful or lying or cheating or stealing from the company because we know justice is coming and it's coming from Jesus. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And then Colossians 3.25, once more, the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Christian employee, hear this. Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he's not just going to judge big, broad strokes over the world. He will judge fairly and impartially what happened in your workplace. You can entrust the justice to him. Along these lines, let me just give a quick detail here. I know in verse 22, it says, obey in everything. But I think that gets qualified later in verse 22 when it says, fearing the Lord. So if your boss asks you to do something sinful, don't do it. Fear the Lord more than you fear your boss. Right? Like you can't commit fraud 
as for the Lord Jesus. You know what I mean? Like you can't lie and cheat as for the Lord Jesus. And our command is clear here in verse 23. Employees, whatever you do, do it as for the Lord Jesus Christ. Which leads to our third and final point. If Jesus is Lord of your workplace, and he is, then even bosses have a boss. Okay? If Jesus is Lord of your workplace, then even your boss has a boss, or if you're a boss, guess what? You've got a boss. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So in the kingdom of God, the lowly, the employees, they are noticed and spoken to, and also the mighty, right? The, the masters, the employers, the business owners, they are spoken to as well. So business owners among us, the way you run your business should reflect how Jesus is Lord of you. Managers, the way you manage your people, your department, your team, should reflect how Jesus leads you. Any of you who have leadership, the way you lead others should reflect how Jesus leads you. And leadership is difficult, isn't it? Like, in my experience, there's been nothing quite like leadership, whether that's in my marriage or as a parent or here in our church as a church planter, boss, employer, that sort of thing. Nothing quite like leadership to expose weaknesses and sin in me. I think it was a year or two ago when a friend of mine who works for our church very kindly told me, Doug, it feels like a lot of times you just want to talk about tasks and getting things done and you don't check in on me. And it was true, absolutely true. And I'm so thankful that this person was gracious and very generous in how they communicated it. But man, it surfaced, my leadership surfaced a weakness in me and honestly a sin pattern that I needed to apologize for, repent of, and ask for forgiveness. There's nothing quite like leadership to expose our weakness and sin. So I am thankful, all you business owners, managers, bosses, I'm thankful that just like Jesus is a gracious and inspiring and rewarding boss to employees, Jesus is also a gracious and inspiring and rewarding boss to bosses. So what I've done is I've asked a friend of mine, uh, Heather Allman, to come up and share some of her story. Heather herself is an employer and a boss. Um, she is an executive vice president for the, I think, 14 or so Palm Beach Tan locations in the Omaha metro area. She's also like on the nationwide council overseeing some 500 locations in our nation. Uh, but the main thing I want you to hear is Heather is a follower of Jesus who submits to the Lord even in her workplace. And I've asked her to share some of her story. Go for it, Heather. Thanks. So when I first started working in this business 18 years ago, I really struggled because my previous job, I was working at a nonprofit and I worked with mentally challenged adults. So I knew what my purpose was at my previous job, but when I got my new job, I had no idea what my purpose was. So coming to my new job, I really didn't think I was doing anything beneficial. And then I did discover that our services do truly help people, but what I found bigger than that is the purpose of mentoring all these young ladies that worked for me. I made it my mission to lead by example, but not just in a leader way, but in a Christian way. My focus was to love them like Jesus and give them skills that they could take with them no matter where life takes them. I start every morning with a prayer, 
I have a reminder in my phone that reminds me to pray, but I don't even need that reminder anymore. Often I pray in my car on my way to work, and my prayer sounds something like this. Lord, please work through me today. Give me the wisdom to make the right decisions for both the company and the employees. Give me the courage to do the, to do the right thing, even when it's not the popular opinion, and guide me to do all things for your glory. Amen. For years, I did not talk about Christianity in the workplace. I really, you know, had that professionalism and didn't think it was appropriate. But since coming to City Light, I just didn't care anymore. <laughs> I started being very open about my faith, and it's been amazing to me to see the doors that it has opened to have a greater connection with my staff. I've had employees open up to me about their trauma. I've prayed for employees, and I've had employees pray for me even when I haven't asked them to do so. I know my reward in heaven will be because I did most things with a joyful heart and leading by a Christian example, and I am hopefully influencing many more to do the same and love Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Heather. Thanks so much for sharing, Heather, and thank you for how you lead by example as for the Lord Jesus Christ, but also you're bold with talking about Jesus. That's it's awesome. Um, okay, I'll close with this. Another friend of mine, his name's Andy. He's also an elder for our church. He does like super smart IT work for a company that contracts with the military. He himself is a master sergeant in the Air Force. And so I asked, hey, Andy, how, does he, how do these verses impact your job? This is what he said, and I love it how he connects all of this to not just being a good employee or a good employer, but he connects it to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that God loves and saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I'm just going to quote him. It's an extended quote, but I think it will be meaningful. Here's his words. All of this, like what we just talked about, seems like a continuation of our actions flowing out of our identity in Jesus. Yes, it is, Andy. Yes, Therefore, it means that I'm not defined by my success or failures at work, but rather I'm defined by the successful and completed work of Christ, reuniting me with the Father. That is good news, isn't it? That is beautiful. Let me just read it again. I'm not defined by my success or failures at work, but rather I'm defined by the successful and completed work of Christ reuniting me with the Father. As I was reading that a second time, I felt like some of you moms or parents who stay at home need to really hear that because your job's never done. But it is successful and completed work of Christ. Okay, Andy continues. My successes at work is not because I'm better or smarter than others, and my failures do not define my happiness. This means I can freely give credit where it is due without fear of being outperformed, and I can freely take blame and responsibility for my failures. So you're like, when Jesus is Lord of your workplace, and he is, that's how we can work. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would come, and even now, would you be speaking to us? Would you, even, maybe it's good if our mindset right now is thinking about the work we got to go to this afternoon, or the office tomorrow, or logging in tomorrow, or where, whatever it is, we're thinking about our workplace. And, oh, Spirit of God, I just ask that you would connect the dots between the Bible passages we just read and studied in that workplace, those relationships 
the injustice we might experience there, the unfairness, or the opportunities we have to speak of Jesus or lead like Jesus led. Oh God, would you help connect some dots and help us see that the gospel isn't just meant for Sunday mornings in a building and a preacher and some songs, but the gospel spills out and the gospel influences. Jesus, you are Lord and that influences our workplace. And God, I just pray, it's a bold prayer, but I pray that you would bring revival and renewal, not just here on Sundays, would you bring revival and renewal to each place that any of these people work? Would you create opportunities where they can love people like Jesus? Would you import value and let them feel how significant and important their work is, no matter how small or unseen it is to them? Would you let them know that their boss has a boss, and if they are a manager, they have a Lord over them? Oh, Jesus, may your lordship, your reign, your rule be known in all of our jobs, in all of our workplaces. And to that end, Holy Spirit, would you fill us? Oh, we need your power. We need your help to bring the goodness of Jesus to our workplaces. Would you encourage people? Would you remind us that Jesus is Lord? We pray in his good name. Amen.